there's an element of lack of trust in the authorities. When I've talked to people before and elders as well about their struggles with their mental health, for example, I've heard things like, you know, well, in the 80s and 90s, if you were a parent and you talked about struggling with your mental health, your kids would be taken away as a black woman oh, or a black person. Yeah. yeah, what? how do you feel safe, you know, about that? And also, unfortunately, we have been let down in institutions. I don't think, and I don't think it's intentional, but I don't think there's been many messages that show that there's care for us, for our mental health, let alone, our, if we, even if we just look at our physical health, the messages have been that it feels sometimes unsafe to go and seek health, um, health support as a black person. So especially when it comes to mental health, but there's also like, who, who do we go to with it? Who can we trust and not be judged? You're listening to Think Tenacity podcast, www.thinktenacity.com. Follow us on social media by searching Think Tenacity. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce my podcast guest host today, who is a black therapist. Martina, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hi, hi, Bella. My name is Martina Jean-Jacques, and I'm a counsellor, psychotherapist, clinical supervisor, and mentor. Why do you think it's important that black people have access to black therapists? Again, I think that, you know, representation is so key. To see somebody like you, um, it kind of cuts out half of the work already. I'm not saying that a white therapist could not do a great job because there's many white therapists out there who are great. But when we think about the concept of racial trauma, there's certain things that a white therapist will not understand. Um, and also within institutions, if you look at the history that, you know, some of us have in terms of trusting people within institutions, to see somebody, a black therapist within the NHS is also quite, I feel quite comforting and quite nice mm, to see mm, that there's it's somebody. It's almost like that one layer has been removed of anxiety to get on with the yeah. jobs, so to speak. Yeah, and there's certain things that just, when I think about my clients, they'll come with their head wrap or they'll talk to me about certain things. And whilst we are different individuals, there's still a shared understanding of some things don't need to be explained or mm. you don't have to go into an educated kind of space where you have to now teach your therapist about your blackness. Like, we don't have to do that. You know, it's I like just, that, and that's a treatable. It. I don't want to have to re-educate you about yeah. my culture because that. Yeah. I don't know if others can see this. That sort of takes up time, and the first yeah. thing in your mind is it's unnecessary time. Then you feel a bit hesitant. When are we going to get to the problem? My time has been wasted, yeah. and then it might deter you to seek therapy because you think, "Oh, I've got to educate," and that's time. Yeah. Take yeah. one in four people from our black communities don't share their mental issues. Why do you mm -hmm. think this exists? Definitely, I think because there's a stigma around that. And also, again, I think there's an element of lack of trust in the authorities. When I've talked to people before and elders as well 
about their struggles with their mental health. For example, I've heard things like, you know, well, in the 80s and 90s, if you were a parent and you talked about struggling with your mental health, your kids would be taken away as a black woman oh, or a black person. Goodness. Yeah, what, how do you feel safe, you know, about that? And also, unfortunately, we have been let down in institutions, you know, that I, I saw a program, you know, I think it was last year about, you know, black women and childbirth and how, you know, we're most likely to, to die from things like that. And I the saw that a documentary can... similar to that, yes. Yeah, so I don't think, and I don't think it's intentional, but I don't think there's been many messages that show that there's care for us, for our mental health, let alone, our, if we, even if we just look at our physical health, the messages have been that it feels sometimes unsafe to go and seek health, um, health support as a black person. So especially when it comes to mental health, which is even more stigma and more taboo, there's, I think there's a, not only is there shame that we're carrying and stigma, but there's also like, who, who do we go to with it? Who can we trust to help us feel that we can get better and not be judged? wonderfully described and I love where you made that reference which is very clear our elders our grandparents there was that existence that if you do ask for help your children could be taken away from you or if you ask for help you're automatically put in a psychiatric ward or a detention center and those things have carried on to the next generation out of fear why do you think in our own communities we are not open with each other about discussing our mental health. I think it's just exactly what you said um, about the transgenerational aspect of it, that that has been something that has just been carried through our generations and that for so many years, our ancestors, the families before us, the focus was survival. Mm. especially because we came from a different country let's be real <laughs> we live here now but this we were not born here so with mm. the kind of the, you know the anxieties that come with being an immigrant your focus is survival your focus is finding a house settling in this country getting work then you've got the racism you've got everything else on top of that so I, I believe that part of it is due to not having a space to be able to talk to to anyone about about it because again who who would you go to you are to so that? true because if we look back and it's not that long ago you know my grandmother is about 84 85 I better get it right maybe she's 83 but that's <laughs> that's that's not long ago really like she she might have came here you know on the windwash which, which wasn't that long ago it's I think it's only like 56 years so for them not to have an established mental health service system that supported them, it's not that long ago. What date did you start your career? Okay, so I started doing voluntary counselling in 2016, and I started to work within NHS and in private practice in 2019. What was the inspiration for you to start your practice and your career? Well, over the years, I'd spent so many um, years in statutory and community settings, mainly working with young people, uh, families in the communities. And there were, um, I did a lot of support work, but what I noticed was that mental health was a huge barrier. 
um, and accessing these support services was also a barrier. And I wanted to try and change that um, to make it more accessible for the people I was working with. And also myself as well, because as, as a black woman, I also suffered with my mental health and I didn't really know where to go or who to seek out um, to find these services. And also when I did have a look, I didn't see many people that looked like me um, and I didn't know if they existed. So I was kind of wanting again to change that because I thought to myself, I'm, I can't be the only one that thinks like this. There must be other people that think like me. And I wonder if that's a barrier to um, working in these services. So that kind of spurred me on to train and to go into this area. Um, and even when I was kind of studying as well, I noticed and I was very aware again of being in the minority within a very white kind of field. And I had some difficulties and I noticed that my differences were very stark in comparison to my peers mm. who were white because they just had to focus on academics. I had to focus on academics, being black, making sure that my passion for this is not coming across as aggression, all of those kinds of things, those microaggressions and those stereotypes that I had to battle, it was quite a lot. And that's what pushed me to sign up as a mentor at the Black African Asian Therapy Network so that I could provide a space for trainees who are also trying to go within this field because I think it's important and I feel that representation is important. Tell me a bit more about your practice. What's your specific niche? I'm trained in psychodynamic counselling and cognitive behaviour therapy. I was quite lucky to be able to do a degree at Birkbeck, mm. which allowed me to, to learn two different kind of modalities. Um, so that's kind of how I practice. I have some clients who I work purely psychodynamically with. I'll have some who prefer CBT or I have some who like a mix of kind of working on, you know, the past, the relationships, what comes up with them, but also wanting to maybe do things like journaling, some mindfulness. So sometimes I have clients that I'll do kind of some meditations with, some mindfulness, but we'll also do some psychodynamics. So I guess you could say I'm maybe closer to integrative kind of working in my practice. Um, but I kind of cater to the needs of, of the individual clients that I work with. So I don't necessarily fit my clients into a modality it's kind of like what their needs are and we kind of work that out together so I'm I feel quite privileged to be able to have two different learning styles and being able to combine them as well yeah I totally understand that for the audience so that they can understand a little bit more of you about your practice area what is a psychodemia counseling and you also do cognitive behavior therapy in other words what does that mean <laughs> I thought I better when I said it I was like oh not everybody knows what that means yeah I but know because yeah, I'm in that world every day but the audience who are new to yeah that therapist makes a difference so what do those terms mean okay so psychodynamic that is all about the unconscious that is all about your relationships your past your childhood oh, yeah so going back related as well 
absolutely um yeah. and it's with the belief that a lot of what we do now is rooted in that past a lot of our present day triggers a lot of our difficulties that they come from when we were younger so it's also looking at things like attachment how we mm. relate to people the environments we've grown up in and how that shaped us today that's that the kind of adults very well so who are the type of clients you would work with i would say that i work with a lot of people but if i think about my practice i'd say probably about 95 percent of my clients are black mm. um yeah so I've, I've had a lot of kind of people from our communities reaching out and and wanting to have therapy with me and also i love being able to break the stigma that comes with that so mm. Since I started practicing, I would say that I've noticed that that has been the majority of my clientele. Um, I also work with a lot of young people as well. But if I'd have to think about the majority of the people who come to me, they're, they're black adults. Mm. And how do you run your sessions? Okay, so I have uh, in-person sessions. Not many, so I'd say probably a few. Since COVID, yeah. Since COVID, yeah. And then I have um, online, so Zoom or your Teams. And then I also have some telephone clients as well. Martina, I always ask my podcast guests, if you were not in this job role, what would be your dream job or career or hobby to turn into a job? Wow. Bella, that's such a hard question because I'm in it. Oh, lovely. I love I that. I can't see anything I else. Maybe Great. fashion, because I like to dress up. No, no, we don't need to dig any. <laughs> you're living it every day. That's good. You don't need to do another degree or, you know, <laughs> go to London Fashion Week. You're all right, you know. And I'd love to know for you, how do you manage your mental health and well-being whilst at work and in your personal life? Okay, so I have some really great supervisors and my private supervisor, she's also a black woman as well. Yeah. So that makes a big difference in terms of being able to talk to her quite regularly. And then also just spending time with my family and friends um, and people that make me feel good. And, you yes. know, just having a good time, exercise. You know, I like my meditations. I like my massages my beauty, things like that. Those are the things that help me Wonderful. to balance out. Yeah. And if you had an extra hour for self-care, what would you do? I'd love to read. I love reading, <laughs> but I just don't have the time. So I've been having to do a lot of um, audio books. The last yeah, one I read on the go. Will Smith's um, audio book, because what I'm trying to do is also read things that are not clinical that's yes. a bad habit of mine that when yes. I'm reading it stuff will work so I'd love yes. to be able to just read stuff yes. that's more light-hearted but I usually don't have enough time Martina it has been a pleasure having you on the show and for our audience if they want to find you on social media what are your social media handles Okay, so my website is mjjpsychotherapy.co.uk. My Facebook is MJJ Psychotherapy, and my Instagram is MJJ underscore psychotherapy. 
That's wonderful. And I will add your details to the podcast show notes. And thank you so much um, for your insight and being part of the podcast series. Thank you, Bella, for having me. Thank you. You're listening to Think Tenacity Podcast, www.thinktenacity.com. Follow us on social media by searching Think Tenacity. Follow us on Instagram, search Think Tenacity. Follow us on Facebook, search Think Tenacity. Follow us on YouTube, search Think Tenacity. Follow us on LinkedIn, search Think Tenacity. For more mental health tips and to see how you can improve your well-being, visit www.thinktenacity.com and sign up to our newsletter.